0: Anything's possible, though, because, you know, Bitcoin is money, so, you know, money talk, man.
1: Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast, powered by Cointelegraph. What began as a small experiment is now a rapidly expanding ecosystem. As citizens of the internet, we expect to be able to send money over the internet as quickly and cheaply as sending an email. As citizens of the internet, we demand transparency. Here, we talk about Bitcoin, Ethereum, blockchain industries, fintech, and more. But we're not experts. We're just three guys in the Bitcoin community. And adoption is the only thing that matters. Hey, everybody. Welcome, my cast, episode number 99, we have a new president, new Tribe Called Quest album drop. Conor McGregor fights tonight, is a shitty place to live, and weed is legal, first host, Porcello.
0: And I'm host number two, D,
2: host number three, Corey. Yep. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah, it was, that was a, a
0: small recap of the week. Yeah, it was yeah. a bit bananas. It was a bit bananas. <laughs> Nothing <laughs> really. I didn't notice any difference except for I, I sat next to this elderly gentleman who happened to be of the Caucasian persuasion, and he was very openly calling Obama everything, everything under the sun. Just, and he knew I was like, right, I was sitting right there. He was like, dealing with eight years, this son of a bitch. I'm so happy now, fucking. Dealing with that pussy guy, and I was like, "Dude, for real, like it's over." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "I'm, I'm sitting right here, like relax, bro." And I was just like, "I'm just gonna listen to my Tron music and fuck this guy." So that's what I did. We got um, in. We got in. Boundary uh, boundary boundary that that soundtrack makes everything better. I'm gonna have every one of our listeners listening to you, that soundtrack before. All said and done,
1: are racists? Are they just uh, super confident? Yeah, I don't. Know. Uh,
0: like,
1: why would you say racist stuff next to a
0: black person? Do they just I don't not think care? He, it's not racist stuff. You can call a man. You can call another man a son of a bitch. Like when you're sitting next to somebody, it's not racist. I don't think he was racist. He was actually very cordial. He helped me get my bag down. Uh, but he was a oh, dick. Okay. So. <laughs>
2: Hope I would care. Yeah, a big fat dick. <laughs> that sentiment, oh that yeah, is being spread across the nation as we speak. <laughs> There's a lot of people like fine <laughs> find, like, and start talking shit about Obamacare. <laughs> hell yeah,
0: hell yeah. It's no longer thanks Obama. It's fuck that guy. Yeah.
1: Um. Anyways, we should Obamacare isn't uh it's not fast and it's not super easy like escrow by bits. Mm I see what you did it's there.
2: Is. It's not. You like it's it? right. It's not. Yep. That's a fact.
1: Yeah, it just it just took three steps. So here's what you do. You're gonna register Bitcoin the escrow scene. Boom. Seller ships the item, buyer checks the goods and releases the funds. And they also offer the Bitcoin escrow with a locked exchange rate. Um, unless you're in India everywhere else that so you're good to go they charge a flat small escrow fee of one on all escrow transactions and they even offer you the ability to split the fee with the other party so they've thought of everything here two or three multi signature transaction where they only hold one key and the rest are yours there be any excuses on why not to use escrow so start the escrow process go to their website and make sure or stay up to date. That's uh, EscrowMyBits.com where you can escrow your shit it's...
0: .com
2: You may have actually cut out a little bit when you said that, so it's not going to come through so yeah. pretty.
0: So I've come to the conclusion you that, that your internet is uh, run by gnomes. It might be. I've been there. I've been there. I've Wait, just... you heard that
1: whole part except for the jingle, right? Yep.
0: Oh. We didn't, yeah, we... I mean, we heard the jingle, but it
1: was like it's, or, like, like that. This was sounded like a little bit.
3: <laughs>
1: oh well I pay sixty three dollars a month for that kind of internet.
3: Really, it's totally I pay <laughs> sixty
2: three bucks a month for a hundred down, a hundred up. Wow. We need to talk to okay, our 100? congressman. <laughs> Holy shit, man! We
0: need to talk to our congressman. We're getting gypped out here in Texas land. Yeah, you are. Fuck.
1: Yeah, it sucks. Uh, We're also brought to you by Athena Bitcoin's portfolio (laughs) company, bitquick.co, the secure quick and easy peer-to-peer Bitcoin marketplace where you can get Bitcoin for cash in as little as three hours. Bitquick has been serving Bitcoiners since 2013. What? Where there's a bank, there's Bitquick. Also, a great way... Oh, wait. You know what? I passed that one up. We're also brought to you by Athena Bitcoin, Uh, trusted name, and all the Bitcoin ATMs. They're located in uh, Houston, Dallas, and all the big cities. Uh, seven or eight other U.S. cities. Uh, so what you need to do is download the Athena Bitcoin wallet on the App Store or Google Play. Locations and more information, visit athenabitcoin.com. They are always adding.
2: All right, that's it, guys. Get your bit that's it for the and ads. get it quick at bitquit.co. Doot, doot. That's there. Nice. That's the jingle I just came up with. <laughs> I just came up with that. Top of my head. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Get your bit. And get it quick at pickwit.co. <laughs> all right, cool. Yeah, we got it. Nailed it. Nailed it. Sell them. The, the, I all should that, do jingles.
0: There that, dude, there's a living in jingles. It's all it takes is one. It's like,
2: I think that's Pringles, isn't it? <laughs> no, 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 no. no.
0: Oh, I see what you did there. Dude, hey, you no, no, you no. Know, so right. But you can't.
2: <clears throat> yeah, I know. I'm just fucking around. Anyway, let's move so on to to interesting conversation about the cryptocurrency scene. What do you got? Yeah,
0: absolutely. So here at the Bitcoin
2: Podcast. No I'm
0: kidding. So we're so this week some articles were sparking my interest. And the first one that sparked my interest, um, wait, first, Cello, is there anything on the docket?
1: Yeah, let's talk about uh enhancing Bitcoin security <laughs> and performance with uh strong consistency. <laughs> Sorry, collective
0: target. I can't even think. What was that long pause about? <laughs> what are you talking about? You might have a delay. Oh, maybe you're breaking out. Maybe there's a delay. Okay, we're just gonna we're gonna try and keep this smooth, audience. Um, are we gonna talk about Colorado cannabis, or are we gonna talk about what's on the docket?
2: Let's open it up with a nice, light cannabis talk. Okay. All
0: right. Well, the Colorado cannabis industry, they're having a hard time finding banks to deal with them because banks are like, you guys, a deal in pot, and we're not going to give you a bank account. Now, I'm pretty sure it's more complex than that conversation that I just had, or maybe it's not. Uh, But they can't get a bank. So, Bitcoin's about to swoop in that shit and be the savior and give them a way to bank and, and, and do commerce smoothly and engage in highly highly active commerce using Bitcoin. Bitcoin is perfect for that, right? I mean, don't you think so, Corey? Uh, yeah,
2: there's no one that can tell them they can't put their money in Bitcoin. That's it. So, I guess... I'm curious on, so where there is hangups, where it may become difficult for them, is how they're going to throw large lump sums of cash, and I'm talking about a large amount of money, through the slow on-ramping process of getting your money into Bitcoin. Once it's in Bitcoin, great. If they accept Bitcoin, that makes it easy for them, but if they have truckloads of cash that they can't get into a bank because the bank's like, ha, no, that's pot. I'm not gonna do that. Which will change over time, but right now apparently it's an issue. Uh, how do they how do they get that same cash into Bitcoin? Because they have to go through this, you know, a lot of the same pain points. I mean, if you go if you buy through Coinbase, you gotta sign up, do all the AML, all your customer stuff. And it's still difficult to get a very large sum of money into bitcoin quickly once you have it there cool it can do whatever you want with it so it's a great opportunity for bitcoin to kind of shore up more of the possible pain points that currently exist in getting your money into bitcoin which is still the hardest part about adopting people is going small from amounts of money it's good money. yeah it's easy it's fine but it still takes a few days. It's not like we, we spend all this time telling people how fast Bitcoin is, and then we we sign them up, and they're like, aha, okay. Three, why? It's gonna take me three days to get my Bitcoin if they buy it with their own bank account." It's like, "Okay, well now we have to explain yeah. how, why banking is slow." Okay. okay, yeah, this is what I was explaining. Like, I don't know about this. And this is an, that's like, embarrassing. Well, it's part of the system. Yeah. That's what's what that's what we're trying to explain to them. It's it's it's. Yeah. It's like the exact same thing we're trying to teach them about Bitcoin automatically rears its head when they try and buy Bitcoin using the old infrastructure. Mm. If you if they're you like, if you initiate it by them giving a twenty dollar bill and you giving them twenty bucks in Bitcoin, they're like, "Oh, cool." Are we? Yeah, we're still talking about. Uh, it. We are. Uh, and so, like, <laughs> I think it's a really good opportunity for, I don't know. I don't how do you how do you how do you bring this up to the repositories or uh, dispensaries mm-hmm. that they should use Bitcoin. Like what's 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 your method of getting them to do this? That's any different than than the trouble they may have. I mean, the gatekeepers
0: are still the banks. It's cash. There's right. They're going to be the gatekeepers if you the have cash. all that cash on hand. Then you've got to take it to a bank, right? You're like, I got millions of dollars. I sell weed legally. Take it, please,
2: bank.
3: Yeah, that's right? but but cash. The banks they
2: have, like, that's the issue. Like, they're, they're not drug dealers. They're, it's a legitimate yeah. business, but they have large amounts of cash. And if they can't have a bank account, how are they going to get large amounts of cash into Bitcoin?
0: What if they, like... To try to
2: funnel their consumers into just using Bitcoin. That'd be great. That'd be a perfect opportunity. Uh, they but can the like merchant services or whatever other merchant services you think is
0: best. Coinbase is going to let it ride because Coinbase is linked to the banks. Uh, at this point,
2: they may be able to handle. Like they may be able to do it because they're technologically savvy. They're they are, they are a bank, but they might not deal with the same hangups that other banks have with dealing with pots.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: I feel like that—that that is a huge opportunity for anyone who wants to be a millionaire. Like, figure out a way for the legalized marijuana industry, which is booming. I give it 12 years max before
2: 90% of the country. <laughs> like, just this past well, every, election, we had, what, four, four yeah, every legal two, states? 100% legal states? So like, but if you're saying every two years we're adding four states, then going to be a while i don't think it's going to be four states i think the number of states will rapidly change especially once you hit a certain threshold of the percentage mm-hmm. of states that have it done it will just become okay. so like the problem is it's difficult for regulation to exist when you have this giant dichotomy within the states of legal and non-legal so you have a lot of problems with like how does law enforcement deal with going from one state to the other like having these makes it so de- – like having these kind of almost – I wouldn't say gerrymandering but like carved up paths of regulation across the states on how you deal with marijuana, whether it's legal or not legal and then all of the gray in between. Mm-hmm. It's like fuck it. Just make it legal so you don't have to deal with all the bullshit of like pulling somebody over with a tiny bit of weed in their in their car because it's legal in one state and they drive over, over mm-hmm. state lines and it's not legal in another – like, well, I bought it, it was legal. It so, no legal here, sir. You're going to jail. You're a criminal. If they make
0: it legal, they need to start letting a lot of people out of jail. They need to do. They need to say, sorry, guys. My bad. You got it all wrong.
2: That's, <laughs> out of all the people who are butthurt right now, they have probably the most legitimate reason to be butthurt. Just people that are sitting in jail because of, like, a little bit of weed. A blunt. Or yeah, or like they had two blunts. a little bit of weed.
0: Yeah, that, that's embarrassing. But anyways, it's 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 opportunity. There's there's gotta be a way. There's there's, there's probably people smarter than us sitting in a room right now thinking like, How do we provide Bitcoin and commerce to the legal marijuana industry? Right, If they can funnel the behaviors of their consumers into using Bitcoin, that's great. Then you've got a storefront that has a whole bunch of Bitcoin, that's great. But then they have suppliers that they have to pay. Do suppliers want Bitcoin? Suppliers probably want cash money. Well, right? that's so, the thing
2: about adoption that a lot of people, I've heard a lot of people talk about, and I've thought about this quite a bit too, is, is, is the real adoption happens when businesses are communicating with Bitcoin. Right, They're not accepting... Mm-hmm. Bitcoin turning it into cash and then paying their suppliers in cash or whatever, like however they do from business to business transactions, which are large volume transactions, like large amounts. When they start dealing in Bitcoin regularly, the infrastructure shores up. It makes it much more efficient. And you're seeing many, many, many more large value transactions happening. Mm-hmm. And you're not going in and out of the currency. You, know, you, don't, you don't have this kind of like... Uh, novel, cool use case of like, oh, I accept Bitcoin. I'm a new, I'm a new, I'm a new business. They're actually using Bitcoin for the in- internal part of the company as well. Mm-hmm. It's not just like, hey, you should buy stuff from my my store because I accept Bitcoin. Like that, those days I think are over. It's no longer. You're not going to get business just because you accept Bitcoin anymore.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because enough people know about Bitcoin, but they don't. It's Bitcoin is in that weird gray area, and I think. We cello, you've told it to us before where that the gray area where the early adopt- between early adopters and mass adoption, right, where everybody uh, knows about it, but
1: nobody's really acting on it the technology adoption life cycle, yeah, yeah, where do you think it's we right are now. in that
2: now? you it's changed over the course of this podcast
1: uh I still think we're uh.
2: Early majority.
1: Early majority? Yeah, I think we're more conservative, but we're open to new ideas, especially concerning the blockchain. Mm -hmm. You you have influence over your neighbors and you're you're active in the community. So I think we're early majority
2: right now. Do you think it's uh, like, even the conversation within Bitcoin has shifted quite a bit. So like, we don't even know how to push ourselves anymore. There's no unification of like, All right, this is how we go, and adoption, and and make adoption happen. We've been arguing that within the community for quite a bit, and people have kind of made off these branches, and some of those branches have grown up. Like the whole blockchain is what you sell idea has bloomed and blossomed quite a bit. It's no longer this like you know fringe idea. There's a lot of weight behind it, Mm -hmm. and definitely is now. It's a matter of like, all right, well then. Where is adoption going to happen? I don't I don't know myself. Like I don't know. I personally think the cell is in the technology. And mm-hmm. then you find applications to it. Like one of those applications is Bitcoin and finance. Another application is like data management and blockchain, if you will. Or mm-hmm. whatever network protocol you wanna your your thing is doing. One of you know, the like this will we talk a lot about this in the interview we have today with Golem. that's the kind of Airbnb of computation. That's through blockchain, if you will. They have their own network token that has value, that has a use case. So um, if if any of those blow up, then what was the underlying motivation for adoption? Was it just, was it Bitcoin? Was it because of Bitcoin? Sure, that had something to do with it because it was the first and most popular and like what people understand, but... The underlying kind of unific- unification of all of the things that made adoption happen was the- was blockchain, or like the buzzwordy blockchain, and mm-hmm. like people shy away from this, like the fact that everyone's using the term blockchain, right? Well, no yeah. shit, right? It you have to have some type of business vernacular guy or vernacular, right? You have to sell it somehow and you have to kind of rally behind some a few terms to sell it to people and it seems as though that's the buzzword that caught on that people are like what is this blockchain I keep hearing about right however they want to use it however incorrect it may be it's what they're asking about and it gives you the opportunity to educate people and let them know what it is how it works why it's useful and so on and so forth so who cares what the term is who cares how they use it People are asking about it.
0: Mm-hmm. What is this blockchain? Yeah. Sound like uh, Mr. Burns. <laughs> Mr.
3: Burns, ask Three of them.
0: <laughs> Smithers, is, what is this blockchain? Keep hearing about. Uh, I mean, you're right. You know, Bitcoin has it evolves so rapidly, even to the point where it's hard for us to keep up. Most of the time. It's impossible. Yeah, people to help us keep up.
2: That's now my and, job uh, trying to try and keep up, and I can't
0: do it. And um obviously blockchain it seems to be what's catching on. And in that runs the risk though, of people forgetting about why Bitcoin was important. And I just hope that doesn't get left in the dust. I really don't. I see the the sprinklings of it happen, like with City having their global wallet. And we know, like, we know how they built that. They built that, they use the blockchain. How they use a the blockchain It's probably federated servers. It's probably got a, a walled garden around it. Um, but they use the Bitcoin technology to do something they couldn't do with the old shit. And now they're trying to put all of the same culture and behaviors with the old shit with this new Bitcoin world. Uh, where national borders are like warm jello when it comes to money now
2: like we talked about that too though there has to be it's not gonna be you know wake up next day everybody's using blockchain everybody's using bitcoin the old way is dead that isn't how the world works it takes incremental steps to get to where you want to be And these are those incremental steps. We're actually having it. We're seeing it happen. We're seeing these incremental steps happen and people can bitch that they're happening instead of Mm -hmm. kind of being happy that it's moving in the direction that gets to where they may want it to be in the grand scheme of things.
0: And then we're at where we're at now, where the IRS is very public about their new
2: strategies, about how they're going to move forward with digital currency. I didn't read the paper that you posted about that. And... Go ahead. Go ahead and give us a, uh, give us a thirty words or less synopsis on that shit. Uh, well, well, thirty words or less. Um, I don't know. Uh, I just made up thirty.
0: Do whatever you want to do. Thirty words. or less. Are you going to keep a count? I'm not. No, I'm not. I was just it was a, an idea. Cello, are you going to keep the count? Because now I have this, I have this goal I got to meet. No, just just give us a, a
2: brief synopsis. <laughs>
0: Well, basically, the brief synopsis is the IRS has pretty much decided they're going to have a strategy to overhaul um, how they're dealing with digital currency. Now, it could be a good thing or it could be a bad. I read a few articles on it which pitched it as a bad thing, which means that it would start being taxed and they're finding a way to tax it because they're afraid that it is a tax shelter right now. Um, But then the good news of that is the IRS could totally flip it and say, hey, let's just make it legal tender. And if they do that, then you know, it's a whole new world out there. Would they do that last one? I think the probability is low. Would they have some sort of strategy in place to um maybe assure that Bitcoin isn't a tax shelter? I hope this isn't that scenario that when I first got into Bitcoin so long ago to where the government can just tax it out of existence because it's so hard to deal with and so expensive to deal with that people will just say, fuck Bitcoin, I'm just going to use bank coin, right? So those are the two scenarios that we're dealing with. But nevertheless, it does mean that Bitcoin is legitimate enough to deserve that sort of concentrated attention from the IRS. So um, them taxing it out of existence, I think, would be a terrible idea uh because as these new emerging markets pop up, Venezuela, Brazil, India, obviously they're having trouble, they're having money problems, right? And their people are probably figuring out ways to use Bitcoin. So I think to shut your 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 populace off to that much freedom, to use Bitcoin would be a dumb idea. So, but we do know governments are dumb. For the most part, as populists, I mean they're slow. They're slow, which makes them dumb. I mean, then we used to call kids in school slow when they were dumb.
1: Retards. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> 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 That's
2: what Chelsea <Kelly> said.
0: Retards, <laughs> but,
2: <laughs> but but yeah, we we did. Um. Anyways. It's a, it's, a, it's a large moving ship and it's hard to steer. But it's hard, where I was it's going with that ship. is the decisions that the
0: government makes about digital currency are going to be the decisions that now have – there is now an understood conduit between the marijuana dispensary and his supplier. And they can start building the railroads for commerce, Bitcoin, because they know they can be compliant. Right now I think that's the biggest thing. Banks don't know how to be compliant. And banks that's like that word to a bank is like it's like kryptonite. Yeah, and that's if you go into a bank and you say that's not compliant, dude, they will like they'll start bowing down to you. Well they'll that's like, part Please. of the
2: that's part of like the conversation that I don't think has had enough in our community. I mean people talk about it. There's definitely a community of people who are worried about the law aspects legal aspects of bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and how they work within a business the regulation taxing and mm-hmm. so on and so forth but we don't talk about it enough it's going to happen it's it's inevitable there's no way of getting around it if you have mm-hmm. a company you're going to get taxed wherever whatever like in 99% of the countries in the world right yeah Uncle you're going to get once his money yeah uh, Our, and I think we should like that's that's a guess we should probably try and get is somebody in that world where they can we can start to kind of ask, you know, what the world is like, the current situation is like, because it's very different than it was when we started this podcast. And you know, like uh, we had the the New York Bit License happening. A lot's changed mm-hmm. since Bit License happened. Yeah, and
0: that was like a hiccup. That didn't even that wasn't even a big deal, really.
2: Eh, I'd call it a big deal. It's just it's not talked about. That's what I mean. It's like out of sight, out of mind. But from a business perspective, a lot of people have to worry about that type of stuff. A lot of big big Bitcoin companies don't operate. They don't allow you to work if you're coming from New York because they don't have a bit license. And so they just get around that by not allowing anyone in New York to use their services. Mm. And I think yeah. So we should have we should we should kind of have someone that's more educated than us on the regulation, current state of legal Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies come on and talk about a lot of that stuff. It's an Im- it me. It is important
0: as well. Like I know there's a lot of, there's a huge section of society out there that's like, uh, in fact, one of our good friends of the show posts quite a few posts about this on social media about uh, taxation is theft. <laughs> you know uh, what I'm talking about yeah, if you're listening now. <laughs> and I just, every time I see it, I'm like, well, yeah, tax, I think it's just to say tax evasion sucks really bad. Uh, and that's the only thing that you could do. Cause it's not like you just can't pay taxes. We know Wesley Snipes knows all about that. Like well, you just, well, you have to, yeah, you got caught. Somebody else got caught recently too, right? So not paying taxes. I know somebody, but, um, you just you you have to pay taxes right so whether you're making your money in bitcoin or you're making your money in yawn or canadian dollars it doesn't matter you got to pay taxes so i don't know
2: oh well uh we'll uh we'll, we'll pick that up later let's 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 transition into uh our our sweet sweet interview i was i was excited about this because this is a world about computation and uh how people essentially buy computing time so they can it's do Skynet computations that their computers can't do themselves. It's Skynet, bro. Yeah, and it's like he dropped an analogy thing. that was interesting. What?
1: Which analogy? Uh, Ethereum is to the world computer as Golem is to the world's computing. Does that make sense, Corey?
2: Yeah.
0: Ethereum is to the world computer as Golem is. Yeah.
2: So you can have a world computer, right, where you submit, but when the actual computation is done, actual cycles, Mm -hmm. right? So right now, if you run a node, like if you submit a a transaction to a smart contract that has a smart contract do some type of business work, business logic, or whatever, Mm -hmm. and that gets cranked out and gives you an answer that get then gets played on every node that's running the Ethereum, the Ethereum network, right? Every node mm-hmm. reads that contract, reads that transaction, performs a computation associated with that smart contract, and then spits out the answer. And whoever wins that proof of proof of work algorithm then submits the block. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, those computations have to happen somewhere, and right now it's on people's personal computers. So, I think what he wants to be, what Golem would like to be, is the computers that those things are run on. And so, right now, you by running an Ethereum node, you get paid in Ethereum if you are mining as well. But you could also potentially in the future get paid to be, you can just essentially have your idle processors run whatever computation someone wants to submit to the network. So you run the Golem network also on your computer, right? And so you just have essentially idle processing power. So you're not you're not mm. using your computer for a while, you step you go out to dinner. Your computer's just going to sit there. Why not have your computer also do work for you and run computations that other people would like to kind of offload because their computer can't handle it?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: and they pay you for it. Just like it was that the, they did. They did Fold at Home and the SETI project for PlayStations back in the day where these massive calculations would be dispersed across this network of computers and then they'd send back the answer. And back then it was just like, oh, cool, I'm contributing to a project. Now it's my idle processing power that I'm not using is making me money for people who mm. need to do computation because they can't do it later. And that could be running the Ethereum network, right? You get, get not, you get paid for running the Ethereum network too. That's kind of what that idea was for them. But you got to start somewhere and it's nowhere near that yet. It's going to cool. be like, let's render this image. Okay, my computer mm. can't do it. Or let's re- let's render these thousand images, spread that across the internet. Each you know thousand computers takes an image renders it, sends it back, and they get paid for it mm. or along I feel like this could,
0: I feel like this could really help Hollywood right they do all that cGI and the price has gone down on cGI tremendously since Jurassic park right we I remember when I was a kid they used to say the computer generated imagery in Jurassic park was. So many millions and millions of dollars for so little hours of work. And that's gone down tremendously to where like Jurassic Park levels of CGI are now like on television shows. Television shows has some great CGI now. And
2: And so people with lower income to kind of still contribute or be a part of the conversation because they can now afford the computation to do these types of things. It's like, for yeah. instance, let's let's take this into the realm of scientific computing. Uh, when I did, when I worked, uh, did my research, I'd have to submit my jobs on supercomputers. So, you know, clusters of thousands of cores. And by cores, I mean, like computer processors linked together so that I can run my jobs across them, which takes, you know, days to, to finish. And then after a couple of days, I get my answer back and then I redo it with a different job, so on and so forth. But... Buying that computer time, or even just getting access to those computers, is a really difficult, painful, and expensive process, which usually makes you have to go through creating relationships with uh, universities, acknowledging them on papers, paying them a lot of money, and so on and so forth. Where, so right, if if you would like, it's a very centralized market, the computational power, because it takes a lot of money to run these these clusters. Mm-hmm. And you need some attribution to, like, you know, if you if you're running this giant machine, you would like people to kind of pay you for maintaining it, which is reasonable. But you have a very centralized market of computation. Mm-hmm. Uh, over time, if you have markets like these, then uh, you can decentralize the computational power, which also allows people to get into this type of work, because right now only scientists with these relationships, scientists who work for schools, who have these relationships with other schools that have clusters, can do this type of research because they're the only ones that can run, they have access to the to the computational power. But if you decentralize the power and allow other people to get into it, then you allow other people to do that type of work, which makes the whole, the whole field or discipline further because you have more people trying to do it. And you have more ideas being spread, so on and so forth. But they can't currently do it because they can't get access to computational resources, which means they can't contribute. So the entire
0: scientific community, given the beautiful world that is painted by Golem, could then have easier access to large amounts of computation. Yeah. Should Golem proliferate? Should people have? Say you have.
2: You have this idea. We'll, let's keep going along the, the vein of, of, of scientific computing. Say you're you're really into a certain niche chemistry research area, and but you're not you're not affiliated with a university. You're not doing a postdoc. You're not you know doing a, a research position at a school. But you would like to contribute somehow. You follow. You read all the papers. You come up with a really good idea. You write a piece of software, but that software is not going to run on your home laptop ever there's no way to do that because mm-hmm. by nature of these types of computations you need giant computers to do them typically depending on where you are uh now you're you're, you're, you're you hit a brick wall you can't do anything about it you have to then sell your idea essentially to a, a professor and you know, find a way to get time on these computers if golem works the way they'd like it to you just you know say all right i've created this piece of software run and you run on the golem network and then you you push that job out to millions and millions and millions of people running the golem network as well on their pcs you run that computation across their idle processing power when it finishes it gives you the answer back and you pay a very small amount of money compared to trying to get on a university computer to get the answer back and now you're able to really contribute to mm. that community and this is this is just one aspect of a very large pool of possibilities when you decentralize computing power across a large array of people and give them a reason to do the computing, which is money you incentivize them through money mm. could be really it's cool. Like Good, really cool and so that's the guy the golem is now starting to do that and they're they just finished their ICO they they, they nice. sold out real quick so well without further ado
0: you guys have heard enough we obviously we were excited about the possibilities because you heard an extra 10 minutes <laughs> right after we introduced them you're
3: gonna hear it again uh,
0: but
2: here. <laughs> What's up, Alex? How you doing?
3: Pretty good. Pretty good. How are you guys doing?
2: Not too bad. Do decent. We have D as well. We got D in an interview. We're pretty happy about this. Yeah. First time in a long time. Feel good. Well, so why don't we start off with uh, you just kind of letting us know who you are, how you joined the project, and what golem is for those that don't know about it.
3: Um so my name is Alex Leverington, and I joined the Ethereum project a couple of years ago. Uh, I think I started contributing code in February of 2014, and um, started working in Berlin in August 1st when they opened the office there <clears throat> in uh, in 2014, I think, and uh, and recently. I don't know, six, nine, about six months ago, uh, <clears throat> I started talking to the guys working on this Gollum project. Um, one of the guys presented a white paper at DEF CON 1 and um, and uh, got interested in the project. Then the DAO came around and we're like, oh, yeah, let's all do a proposal for the DAO. Um, hmm. uh, we know how that worked out. It didn't. Um, And uh, everybody was still um, behind the idea of of building out Golem on Ethereum. And so we moved forward with figuring out if we could do a crowdfund and if that would work out and how the token would work, if it made sense to have one and things like that. um, Now here we are today. So the roadmap's out and I guess the crowd... Funding code should go live on Friday, and um, and, uh, and we'll go from there. Yeah, so the I
2: guess before we get into the crowdfunding and the roadmap, let's talk about like what is Golem and why is it important.
3: So <clears throat> Golem has been called Airbnb for your computer, um, and it's simple. Um, you run the Golem. Software on your computer, and it will go look for work to do, and find work, and somebody has to pay for that work. So <clears throat> your computer will look for work that it will, uh, and and will try and optimize for the work that it looks for, for the best, for the best payout. And uh, and then on the other side, uh, obviously, the applications and systems wanting work performed. We'll try and price it accordingly so that um, so that the work gets processed. And <clears throat> so, at its core, it is a marketplace for computing. However, it it extends a little bit further than that, um, as we will also have an application registry and a transaction framework, so that um, software developers so that the um, so that for the software developers and the person who has their computer running this random software um, can trust each other a little more um, a that the software developer can get paid um, and B that uh, you know the software developer isn't going to abuse uh, the systems that the software is running on so this and, is
2: something that I that I found I guess my, my first real interest came into play I had, I I, I come from um, computational chemistry and physics and I would write like my background is in Fortran and I would write programs that were specifically designed to be run on these like massive academic clusters that have really really fast interconnects between the nodes which means each node can communicate with the other nodes really really quickly which you can't have in something like a distributed distributed computing platform and so when I write it, when I wrote code, I knew exactly what type of computing hardware that it was going to be written like going to be running on. Is that something that Golem will be able to take advantage of? Like, say you have this software kind of repository; people write software for it to be written to be run on the Golem network. Can the people who write the software specify almost what type of like specifications that the hardware it needs to run on?
3: Yes, yes, we hope so. So. The idea, the idea is to start out with, um, uh, a general interface that can be used to leverage existing software. And then for that interface to improve along with the software that can interface with, with the hardware. So right now, <clears throat> I assume whatever you worked with was also dependent on some proprietary software layer interfacing with the hardware, so that whatever code you were writing, it would, um, it was probably dependent on some kind of software environment. Um, and and I would hope that that kind of software in, in, in environment or that code that exposes the hardware environment um, can be exposed to this general, uh, you know, peer-to-peer compute network.
2: Yeah, typically it would be like every every academic cluster that I would work on uh, had c- configured their cluster in different ways. They, they typically had two different types of core software, how they compiled the Intel Fortran compiler to their machine specifications, as well as what's called MPI, message passing interface. And that's essentially how the nodes communicated amongst themselves. And however... The, the the universities configured those two applications drastically changed how fast my program ran which drastically changed how much yeah. money we spent when we ran our program on their machines and it drastically like affected where we decided to use all of our our money for running computational software and i would imagine that any distributed computing platform will have to have like, I don't know, like this is like the, the difficulty I see is like, where can you increase your efficiency gains? Because you're by distributing the computational across everyone's computing resources, you're trying to find the most efficient way or the cheapest way to run the computation that you may want to do. And how you do that is going to be interesting.
3: Yeah. Um, so there's that is where the application registry comes in to for the developer and or the compute environment to advertise um how it's configured. Mm-hmm. Um so it it's really oriented around the software um <clears throat> and I guess w- without going in into into a lot of details we could look at Say you have one piece of software, but you have it configured two different ways. Um, Well, the initial version of Gollum, everything is with Docker. So this is like two different Docker images. Okay. Um, So what's interesting is if there's a university that has idle compute resources and you have a configuration that works well, but you don't have enough machines or maybe they're already reserved. So you go and deploy this at another university And is that university gonna trust you to deploy it? Well, maybe. Um, Are they gonna let you do that for free? No. Certainly Um, not. (laughs) But if if they had some network where you can say, hey, like we're gonna, you know, we'll like pay for this compute if you, you know, um, if you load the software configuration on your, you know, systems, then, you know, they they might be okay Uh, doing that, open to doing that. And, to be honest right now that's not possible
2: right No mm-hmm. well, certainly not um,
3: and it won't be possible you know with like the first second third release of Gollum <clears throat> I'm sure. but um, I think that, that that the gamble and I, I think where Gollum is getting things right is that those software tools have improved a lot. Um, I, I'm, I'm guessing that that whatever you worked on before, maybe five or ten times easier to do now, than it, than it was you know five or ten years ago um, so hopefully we're at this point where the ability to deploy these um, computational uh, co- compute environments these like proprietary compute, compute environments is easy enough that we that whoever writes that software can deploy that to Gollum. Um and uh, and 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 that's kind of the trajectory of where we're going um, not that Gollum's going to provide all that but that Gollum will have the network that you can integrate with if your software get if, if if your software configuration system gets to the point where you can where you can where it's easier to deploy this um i don't know is that does that make sense
2: yeah it certainly does that's i mean i understand that like what i was asking was kind of the the end goal of what Gollum is and, and not exactly where you are now and what, what the first, cause you, as I was looking at your project, you have, you have, you have a roadmap and you have this kind of, these stages of release with Gollum. I think is the first one. Is it brass Gollum or bronze Gollum? Um,
3: I think it's brass. I, yeah.
2: So either way, it's, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, it's, it's a scaled down version of what the end product will look like only to kind of get your minimum viable product started to get your foot in the door to kind of really get the network out and start to kind of show people what this can do and, and not, and I guess test the core functionality before throwing everything on the network and saying, I hope it all works. Yeah. So I
3: have
2: a question
0: is your, so would your computer be like, if it was making money, finding work and making money, is it only dependent upon like how awesome your computer is? So say, like I'm rocking an N64 processor. It's been peaked at perfect dark, but then I open up this Golem software, and everybody's like, "Nah, man, you gotta, you gotta run Call of Duty: Infinity War." Like, am I not? Since I'm not contributing because the processing isn't good, do I not get paid as much either?
3: Um, I, I, I think it's really dynamic. Uh, I, don't, I don't think it'll be that, um, uh, you know, binary. I, I, it, um, so, for example, NVIDIA GPUs are better at some things than AMD. Well, mm-hmm. that's how it was a couple of years ago um, until the Maxwell chipset or something mm-hmm. like that.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um,
3: and now we see, like, Intel is coming out with CPUs that have a built-in FPGA, on it. Um, now, if I'm not mistaken, like, if you have an FPGA um, embedded in an Intel chip, that FPGA can be only configured for one application at a time, um, or one specialized uh, circuit. So, um, you know, I um, that I know that doesn't answer your question. Um, we have that we also have, um, like, NVIDIA worked on, a, I think, like a machine learning processor or something. Google has even worked on this specialized hardware. So um, it's going to ultimately depend on the hardware environment of your computer and the software developer's ability to utilize your system mm. um, and or the software developer's um, preference for a certain hardware environment um or the um the requester so somebody who's requesting the computation to be performed um maybe they want it done much quicker you know so they want faster systems to run it um so it's uh it's difficult to say i mean if a if a university has um 10,000 machines uh or you know IBM's headquarters or something or Hewlett Packard or something and they're all idle and they put that on the network and nobody's using the network then your machine uh, may not get paid for it. I -hmm. personally
2: see people who have lots of computational power processing power. This is beneficial to them to actually run um, a Golem node that will take that idle power because if you invest in a lot of that machine more often than not you're never going to have 100% efficiency on using that computational power. So this is just a way for them to kind of shore up that idle power. And when I think the real benefit of, of distributed computing is, is, is twofold. Uh, one is a lot of people because of the trend in general computing is moving more, we kind of back towards this terminal like reality where you have a small device at your home that doesn't have a lot of computational power and you essentially outsource all of that computational power with the things that you need. So for instance, say I'm uh, I'm creating animations and I want to render my animation. Uh, That may be difficult if I don't have the computational power to do so myself or expensive if I want to try and pay someone else to buy that computation. With something like distributed computing and the Golem network, I can just click a button on my computer and have it done at a very, very reasonable price because I'm not paying a specialized service to do it. I'm essentially getting the fair market price of whatever that specialized computational job is because there's a lot of people competing because they have idle processing power to do it. Am I right about that?
3: Yeah. Yeah. And there's, I think there's a couple of other interesting things as well. Um, One is uh, that open source software is the quality um, and traction of open source software is greater. So for projects that are developed by communities um, and not large organizations, uh, they may be able to do things that before they couldn't do. So um, if you wanted to render some silly movie, you know at one point you could have a really low quality version or you could you know pay a bunch for amazon or something to render it and now you might be able to render it at a lower priority but still um, render it using this network but the other thing is that um... sandbox environments are also getting better and as as sandbox environments improve, then um Companies that create proprietary software may be more comfortable deploying that proprietary software on something like Gollum. So like right now, if you were to download if you were to run some proprietary software for rendering, um, you're probably not gonna pay, you know, either you 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 may pirate it and you don't pay for a license, or you may not be big enough to, you know, even like run it and use it. So um these proprietary software solutions may be able to be used um by people <coughs> previously. so hmm. all together all uh, altogether, i i think it just creates um more options for uh for compute oriented applications
2: nice Wait, did we lose score? No, sorry, my dog was barking. I muted my mic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What was no, the dog?
3: What was the dog asking?
2: Uh, my wife is walking down the stairs, and she doesn't. doesn't like that, so she barks. <laughs> uh, yeah, can't, so have, like, can't have people walking like, downstairs. Do you see? Do you see the value in a lot of this coming from the people creating software on this network, and any value coming from like the community around? the software that gets deployed on Golem or do you find it in like, uh, where, where do you, where do you see the majority of your environment or users <coughs> taking advantage of your network? Um,
3: initially, um, initially it will probably be used for the um, <clears throat> video industry for two reasons. Um, the first is that the, the team in Poland has a lot of experience with this. And the second is that it's the it's it's a use case that is in high demand and also requires a lot of computational resources. So um, things like machine learning and computational chemistry, um, that stuff may be in high demand and require a lot of computing, but it also requires very specialized engineers and software developers and scientists um, and If you solve a computational, you know, specialized computational chemistry problem, or you figure something out for machine learning, um, you're not going to have, you know, a billion people watching it and downloading.
2: You're definitely Um, right. It's a small amount of people doing a very large amount of computation, and it's very specialized. Like the amount of the type of work that I do, the type of software that I wrote, did a lot of compute hours on a lot of clusters, but it didn't. There's only a handful of people that ever. And will ever use that software. So in terms of a community, you don't have a high demand for something like that. But for generalized like image processing or video processing, that's that's massive. Yeah. And yeah. it's also much, much, much easier to do. But when people write this software, what languages do they write it in? Is it something that they're gonna to have to like, do I have to relearn a language like Solidity or a low-level language like Fortran or C?
3: Um, well, it depends on um, on how Gollum progresses. Initially, everything will run inside of a Docker environment. You could run anything that doesn't require networking. Wow. Um, but, but you also have to get it whitelisted. So, well, you don't have to get it whitelisted, but you have to convince compute providers to whitelist it in order for, for them, you know, to run it. So.
2: Is there any type of expansion hmm. to something like that where you can do networked applications? Because large, you have two types of hard, difficult computation. You have something that can't fit essentially on a single computer. It requires a lot of computer resources. So you're forced to spread it out across the many, many resources, or you have something that you need to do many, 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 many times that just take a very long time so you spread that work out so you have work that needs to talk to each other that's spread out over a large computing resources and work that essentially doesn't need to talk to each other that's spread over a lot of computational resources and the way i see it golem network can only do what's called uh embarrassingly parallel work where you can just throw work across a bunch of a bunch of different processes when they're done they come back and you have the answer am i correct about that
3: yeah yes so this is the aspect that i'm most interested in and um and one of the reasons is uh, <clears throat> that i was interested in the project so at ethereum i worked on the well on the peer-to-peer network code um and in the time that i was there we were able to implement the things that were needed for ethereum um but we didn't necessarily get to implement all of the network layer um, functionality and features that we wanted to because they weren't essential to Ethereum. Um, so one of those is this <clears throat> dev P2P layer where you can have connections between the applications in a secure way that um, that doesn't necessarily use uh, TCP IP. Like obviously it runs on TCP IP, but um, it's not ssl and it's not tls so and and all the nodes are aware of each other on the network um, so there's this possibility that with the with the third or fourth release of Gollum that we introduce an api that the connections can that the um something running on Gollum can communicate with itself but it doesn't have to worry about the networking at all. So that's this interesting question is, is if you introduce a way for, for for this code to, you know, for this computational code to communicate with itself, then do you, does it actually need access to the network? Um, and, uh, and and hopefully it doesn't mean that, but if we, you know, if there's enough demand and, and there's enough comfort around the security of opening up net general networking, then we might do that. But the problem is, is that if we do that, then and one large application has a bug, then you you potentially have a very large botnet running on high performance computers. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I can see the issue there. <laughs> yeah, this could be bad. So so we really have to be careful with the network connectivity feature.
2: I mean, and that's why you're you're taking this this stepped approach into introducing golem into different like waves. Can you can you explain what those waves are and like how they work a little
3: bit? Uh yes. So that was I, a deep sigh. Wait a second. <laughs> there's Wait. a really Pause. great
2: graphic online that, that, I kind of, that I kind of been keep referring back to, and th- I mean, this this type of stuff is difficult, and it should be difficult. We're talking about distributing, g- generally distributing all computing work across anyone's computer. And this is like kind of that like Fold at Home program that so many Playstations used to do a long time ago, but. Times a million.
3: What? Well yeah. And we and we don't want to create Skynet. I mean
2: I <laughs> Nobody does. Nobody wants called, to do that. I kinda wanna yeah. create Skynet. <laughs> yeah.
3: You know, it, it's called Gollum, you know, so that's also <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.
2: That is an appropriate name I'd say. Uh, we learned in the last yeah. Terminator
0: movie. They didn't call themselves Skynet anymore. They changed it. They called them something. Uh, I
3: know. I I watched that on the plane. Uh, uh, I watched that movie on the plane around the time Ethereum launched, and it was a little (laughs) weird.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, everyone likes that Uh, kind of. Everyone likes to say Ethereum (laughs) is is going towards the way of of Skynet and like what have we created types of things. Until yeah, uh, until machine yeah. learning is at least introduced into distributed computing, then I don't think we have too much to worry about, or even start.
0: Yeah, do you have anything
2: to, to worry about? No, in my opinion, no.
0: But Elon Musk is worried. What am I? Interested? He thinks
3: that's yeah. the gates Doctor. to hell. Rightfully so. I th- I think I agree with him. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna be an anti AI guy over the next couple decades. I think.
0: <clears throat> what? Why? What? What are you so scared of?
3: Um, you know, I don't know if it's, I don't know that I'm scared so much as, you know, I like reality as it is right now. So it's kind of that, um, you know, I like, you know, if I eat steak, it's a real steak. You know, it's not some like machine learned protein compound. I don't know.
2: We're talking to Cypher from the Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> He's got to sell us out. <laughs> you're gonna sell let's us out man all right let's do it. ignorance is bliss.
3: <laughs> no no but uh you know that that could actually be worse right you know there is no matrix it's just everything around us has been you know like machine learned to optimize our decisions for whatever power uh is in place that you know need us to do something so mm. <clears throat> the chowski
0: uh, siblings were ahead of their time
3: way yeah i know right um so uh i i actually did a lot with machine learning um for a couple of years prior to working on uh on uh cryptocurrency projects <clears throat> and uh i th- i think we're we're still really far away like a decade away from machine learning that is spooky <clears throat> but um as, as things like quantum computing evolve, I, I think we'll get closer and closer to something where we can't tell if it's real or not. Um, and it gets into this weird world where we can't tell, you know, what's real and what's not. Now, considering the presidential candidates right now, I'm not sure if that would be much different, but... Yeah,
2: uh, eh, well, I might want to create a reality that's better than the one I'm in.
3: Yeah. That's <laughs> <much better. laughs> so uh multiple releases um the brass release is there to um get the essentially get the mvp deployed with ethereum and the um, basic transaction framework uh, functioning and application registry so the basic functionality of everything is necessary to deploy and scale um <clears throat> A large compute application, um, as well as things like IPFS support. Um, I mean, we're we're looking at running three peer-to-peer networks on a single machine. So there's a lot of work to make sure that um, those things are going to work together, and people will need to configure their firewalls a certain way and, and fault
2: tolerance of some sort. Yeah,
3: yeah, and. And also, like, there may be shared components between the three systems where we are looking at what we're going to do in the future. So there may be some component of IPFS that we just bake straight into Gollum or that Gollum just builds right on top of IPFS for that part. Mm -hmm. And the same thing for Ethereum. Um, So so the first version is... um, exploring what's possible, but also releasing what's necessary uh, to ensure that people can, like really advanced software developers can start to build on top of it and have an idea of, <clears throat> of what they're getting into. And then Clay is the second one. Um, and this is where uh, <clears> the <throat> basic task API is introduced so that advanced developers can um have an idea of what customizing their tasks will look like. Um, and I'll get into that in a minute, I think. And then a functional application registry where people can see the different applications and uh, you know check if they want to run it or not. Um, let's see, virtual machines for sandbox environment instead of just Docker better user interface <clears throat> and then stone golem is a better task API um, a fully functional transaction framework that can be customized certification support which corresponds with whitelist and blacklist system and the application registry um, so that is basically um, it, it it's pretty simple, um, but uh, like software auditors and security uh, experts can analyze software and say, "Oh, hey, like this software is secure." And if 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 they have enough reputation in this regard, then they can sign off on the on the version of an application that gets deployed, <clears throat> and then this way. The compute providers can just trust those parties, like whitelist those parties instead of instead of just whitelisting a software developer or an individual application. So um if additional funding is raised, then at the Stone Golem. Um oh wait, I haven't gotten a stone, yeah, yeah. I'm on Stone Gollum now, which is the third one. Um a more advanced transaction system, better examples, MapReduce and topological sorting of tasks, um, uh, integrated reputation system, and a web client. And then Iron Golem, um, peer-to-peer data link for Gollum to use resources from outside the network, host direct mode, which is um, ...binaries that run outside the Docker VM environment. So, like OpenCL, GPU um, mining might use that if anybody wants to run mining on this. I I, I don't think that's a good use case, but... Um, <laughs> ...and then uh, with additional funding, the, the last release will have a substantial amount of documentation and developer toolkits... Um, ...to make all this easier to use. And... So that is a quick overview of the four releases.
0: Mm. Sounds okay. like a a lot of fun for a lot of people. I'm looking, at, I'm this, looking um, at this first use case, and it says that like CGI rendering can be done really quickly, really quickly, and more cheap than it's done now. Are there other kind of use cases that this is kind of like nuzzling into that you're finding?
3: Um. Yes, so they've um, uh, the, uh, the other guys I think they have some experience with uh, rendering video encoding like real-time uh, video overlay software and computational chemistry yeah so yeah <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and for me I have experience with machine learning so mm. each each of these, are applications where you start out with, you know, your your source data. You have a small file um, that you want to render, or that you want to run computations against, and then you have some output. And um, and the the video applications, machine learning, computational chemistry. These are the three most obvious.
2: Yeah, those are definitely three incredibly good use cases for just just starting off the bat. I mean, by the time you get to Iron Golem, who knows where the computational space will be from the developments that we have over the, over the like the next five, ten years. Um, like, it's, like, what, like I'm I'm kind of curious. We've talked quite a bit about the kind of technicals and like how golem will work kind of who who's going to be the main maybe um users of this and who's maybe will end up making the most like initially make money or who, who will find it the most useful i'm curious kind of like what the vc pitch is like when you have to sell this kind of to people who may not be into techie stuff. I mean, I guess well, everyone in the Ethereum network kind of has a techie space, but in in the end, you want this to be usable by people who don't care about anything on the un, like underneath it. Do you have like, or does someone within Golem have this like fantastic business VC speech?
3: Well, I I can't I can't speak for anyone um, personally, and and why I was attracted to it is um, if we look at open-source peer-to-peer software, historically. Um, uh, there's a saying that software is eating the world, or um, but it's, know, it's starting to look like peer-to-peer software is eating the world. So um, BitTorrent started out, and that became really big. I mean, BitTorrent traffic, I think, still may be the number one traffic on the internet. Um, and... Um, <clears throat> And uh, Bitcoin came out and, oh, you know, oh, it's just a little cryptocurrency and you have to <clears throat> have a bunch of storage to run a node and it's really slow and you have this double spending problem. So you have to wait, you know, 30 minutes or 10 minutes or whatever. Um, and yet these applications are, you, you, you can't turn them off and they, um, and, and they're useful and they have integrity. And, uh, and they have as much time as is needed to proliferate. So um, so for Gollum, um, it doesn't need to do what cryptocurrency does and it doesn't need to do what BitTorrent does. Um, but I can see Gollum uh, taking over the data center compute space, um, similar to how Bitcoin is affecting uh, financial markets uh or my, i don't know how to describe what Bitcoin's doing but
2: <laughs> yeah uh, it's it's use case and money is, is slowly creeping its way into all of the things that are tied in with money
3: yeah well it's it's weird you know like as 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 bitcoin goes up like all of the major currencies are starting to like float at the same value almost one to one it's weird um mm. but uh um so to to boil it down the simple thing is is um <clears throat> there's an incentive to run Gollum on every machine in every data center or every um performance computer in someone's home um and because that incentive's there we we have the potential for for it to be deployed at this scale um, so that's one aspect the second aspect is that um if we even have a little bit of traction, that amplifies software developers being able to deploy their software and monetize it. So one of the things that like the the transaction framework does is it lets software developers monetize like micro transactions within their software or, hmm. or, or just individual parts of the software. Um, and it also makes it easy to to distribute the functionality of their software on this you know, random Gollum network. And that's that's something that didn't exist before. And so hopefully there's enough incentive there to, to, to bring in the software developers. Nice. And uh, yeah, so the 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 challenge is going to be um, the 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 companies that pay for computing right now. Um, <clears throat> You know, they hire a developer or they install some software and they deploy it to AWS or they deploy it to their servers or whatever and universities and getting them onto software or getting them to um, to build their infrastructure on Gollum. So that's, I think, where the biggest challenge is going to be. But as we get traction there, I, I, I think that's the VC pitch, right, is we're just going to be the generalized interface for distributed and decentralized computing. It's a great place I have to have a challenge do. for you.
0: It's yeah. a tough challenge. Yeah. Oh no. It, um, it could be the toughest challenge you've had ever in your life. Um, no I'm kidding. That's.
3: Is it eating spicy food?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I got that on lock. <laughs> it, It's not, but it is. It is pretty difficult.
3: Good, because if if it's um, really spicy food, I'm, I'm out.
2: Done. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I kind of went straight to that. Fuck that. I'm not doing that ever.
3: (laughs) No, 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 no ghost peppers. No ghost peppers.
0: Oof, those things. That's not even. I don't know why people put themselves through that level of torture. But anyways, can you describe Ethereum?
2: You gonna just leave it there?
3: Ten words or less. Okay. Just ten. Yeah.
0: It's a tough one. It's spicy.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Ethereum is a internet service which provides crap, that's seven words. Yeah. <laughs> Trusted code execution.
2: Oh, look at that. You got it right in 10. Whoa. Hey, it's appropriate. Nice. <laughs> A few modifiers in there. It's good stuff. Okay. All right. Nice. Yeah. That's very good. Usually, are you gonna, are you gonna think, think about that later
0: tonight? <laughs> <laughs> we get like seventy-five thousand words, or we get somebody who's just like Ethereum is a magic uh, internet fluid that dances. It's like what? It doesn't doesn't make much sense. But thank you, thank you for keeping it clear.
2: All right, Alex. Uh, that's about wraps up the show. I think that can kind of the last things we were talking about concisely puts it in a nutshell for those who are listening and, and uh, maybe got lost in the weeds for a little bit. So I appreciate you coming on the show and we look forward to seeing what Golem does and, and how it grows. And uh, I look forward to kind of playing around with it with like my computational resources and maybe developing some software on it.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. And, uh, um, be sure to check out the website um, on the tenth and the eleventh if you want to participate. Yeah.
2: In two days, if you guys are interested in joining yeah. or contributing to the Golem Network, throw your ether at it, and you can. Yep.
3: Yep. Oh, and wait, it'll, it'll 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 create Ethereum will create magic Golem Network tokens if you send it your magic ether. Yep. Yeah.
2: <laughs> there you go can't explain there it is. any better than that and later that magic golem will grow into a large beanstalk and you can go rob giants with it so <laughs> I don't know where I got that, that was terrible I'm, I'm, <laughs> we've got to stop we've got to stop right now and we're done All right. All
0: right. All right. It's okay.